everyone, and welcome to Geek Rant, episode 236, Work It, recorded May 8th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet where geeks rant. Truly, we're the one, the only time, nowhere, nowhere else in the world do geeks say what they think, except here, I think. Uh, Don't quote okay. me that. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, except last week, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and how goes things, Seth? I hope everyone had one heck of a week. Hey, everybody. It is so awesome to be here. Thank you for showing up. Uh, Happy Mother's Day. By the time you're listening to this, it is not Mother's Day, and in many countries, it's not Mother's Day anyway, but right now, as of today, May 8th, 2016, it's Mother's Day in the U.S. Happy Mother's Day, moms. I hope you got your um, free hug coupons from your kids. <laughs> or whatever they ended up handing out. Yes. Uh, you know, school teachers, particularly elementary, they're always making handprints and footprint things, and so... All kinds of stuff like that. For for my wife's celebration, I took her to see a movie with uh, uh, muscly men in in no shirts and tight pants, uh, namely Civil War. Uh huh. Uh, so we got to see that yesterday, and of course, uh, as always, I will give a spoiler free review. Uh, the writing was okay. The story was okay. It's not as good as Winter Soldier. Um, not as good as Avengers. I think the Avengers is the highlight of Marvel right now. They're, they're kind of stuck in this thing right now of having to, ru- to introduce so many new characters to do all the new shows that they're going to do over the next, uh, you know, decade. Yeah. That they're, each show has become a prequel to every other show before it. And I think the writing is suffering for that. Um, I will say my biggest disappointment in this one was the visual effects. They just really? weren't good. Um, you know, this like is rushed. Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, the like, for example, uh, Avengers going back to what I think is the pinnacle of it. The, the physics of those things, the stunts and all those things always looked right. Um, you know, you had to look really carefully to see that it wasn't CGI or that it wasn't a model uh, to make the difference between this was a, a stuntman and this was CGI. This one, it was really obvious every time that it was CGI. There's a scene there. No spoilers here. Um, uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier are running in traffic, running as fast as cars, because those two guys can do that. Um, and there is a way to do that right, and there's the way they did it in the movie. And it really looked just bad. It was it was so obvious. Here's traffic, and here's superimposed people running on a blue screen that don't even look real on it. Um, was it as bad as like Neo jumping on cars in whichever crappy Matrix sequel that was? <laughs> You know the one I'm talking about? You know, the the thing is that that should be so far in the past. That was 20 years ago, Seth. That should be so far in the past now that we shouldn't even be able to compare those two. But sadly, they are comparable. It's it was like um, the uh, the um, Spider-Man, the first three Spider-Man movies, you know how they did a good job with those. But the physics just didn't look quite right. He moved too fast. He moved too um, bouncy. I, I don't know. It just wasn't quite right. Uh, right. And we're back to that level of CGI now. As as guys mm. are, are throwing around, superpower guys are throwing other superpower guys. Right? Super, uh, it's it's civil war. It's superheroes fighting superheroes. Um, and so you get a guy get hit and he flies back uh, twenty yards, and that's you know that's 
the way things happen. They do the rope pull and whatever. But here, I guess they didn't do the rope pull. Instead, they said, I oh, will fix it in post. And it just, it was obvious to me many times throughout the course of the two and a half hour movie. Each time it totally pulled me out of the movie. You may have a different experience. Um, but for me, it was completely disruptive to the moment. Hmm. And I was, I was very disappointed by that. Well, that's too bad. I, like, that's why I was wondering if it was like it was rushed because it seemed like that movie was, you know, the, they would, the other ones just got over and they started pushing for the Civil War already. It's like, wow, that was a fast turnaround for movies to to chain together like that. And also because of the nature of the movie, again, superheroes fighting superheroes, the, all the action is more fantastic. So mm-hmm. you, you take um, uh, Winter Soldier, uh, like the elevator scene where Cap is kicking butt in the elevator. That can all be done with stuntmen because it's hand-to-hand combat, um, you know, a few uh, wire pulls here and there, a few uh, special effect shots. But mostly, that's just stuntmen being really good at what they do. But right. when you have, you know, Iron Man and Captain America both being super strong and super fast fighting each other, and again, no spoilers, it was in the previews, you know what's going to happen, um, everything is is amped up. And so it's no longer stuntmen being good at what they do, it's special effects artists not given the time to be good at what they do, I don't know. So that, for me, was the most disappointing part about the whole experience. That's too uh, bad. Yeah, that I, that I, I mean, I, I can understand having issues, but it's too bad that the, if the effects are what break it for people. Um, again, they wasted vision, but Marvel's been wasting vision for decades. So I, I just need to get off of that high horse. Yeah, I mean, he was wasted in the comics for years. Right. So um, it's only fair that they give him equal time on the screen. Uh, yeah, he's he's one of a handful of super characters that if they did him right, there would be no story. There would be no tension. Right. There would be nothing like, uh, you know, Dr. Manhattan was the same way. Um, they're just he's so powerful that there's kind of nothing you can do with him. So you have to waste it. Yep. Or you nerf him like Superman. Right. Well, you know, Superman, again, you know, depending on which Superman you read, he's either right. the godlike character that can't be stopped or he's just, you know, slightly stronger than a dude. Mm-hmm. And Batman can take him down. Yeah. Un- and unfortunately, you know, in, in the movies, they made Iron Man far too strong. Um, I, cause he just, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe the late after I got out of comic books after Onslaught. He, he would have never been able to stand up to Thor. One hit from Thor's hammer would have trashed Iron Man and that would have been game over. So, you know, they started off with Iron Man being far too strong, far too quickly in the movies to put him on par and made him basically God of the Marvel Universe. And um, so, you know, they I mean, anyway, that's my thoughts on that. I think they painted themselves into a corner and then now they're trying to get out of it and stepping all over everything they've already done. And Captain America, I feel is way too pumped up too. Um, again, it depends on which strain of the comic books you read. He, his strength varies, uh, over, mm-hmm. over the course of his career. But, you know, starting really with, uh, with winter soldier and continuing through, um, age of Ultron and now civil war, he is Superman strength. He is, he is that strong and that fast. Um, and when you put him and Tony Stark fighting each other, you know, um, it, which, which one wins, right? And, and this, now you've got Captain America 
the the amped up Captain America and the Winter Soldier, who apparently is every bit as strong as Captain America, which I don't really think that matches up either with my experience, but they say they do, and they're both going against Tony Stark. Again, no spoilers, it's in the previews. Um, that should be a very quick battle, but instead it's nearly 20 minutes, uh, maybe 15. Mm. Um, it just felt like 20. That says a lot about what you think about the movie. <laughs> And I don't want to give, I don't want to come off saying I didn't enjoy it. I did. I walked away from it enjoying, having enjoyed the experience, but let down because, because I know Marvel has, can do better because they have done better. I've seen them do better. So I know they can. Right. Well, we'll see. Is this one kicking off phase three or has phase three already started? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm. I I think I will like the movie because I have pretty low expectations for Civil War, and I'm I, my plan is to go watch it tomorrow night. So, yeah, and uh, no Hulk, no Thor, uh, a couple of passing mentions of the two of them. But um, again, going back to Avengers, that Hulk Thor interplay play was a good part of what made the the battles interesting that that comic uh relief was there and that the when they worked together and even when they were working together weren't really working together um and that carried through a little bit into winter soldier uh, i mean uh, age of ultron but not quite as much and now they're both gone the literally the two most powerful characters um in the avengers aren't there hmm. that's true yeah, it's kind actually, of vision. weird Vision is the most powerful, uh, but he's not given that strength. Uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're rabbit holing really bad yeah, here. <laughs> I, I just I don't want to come off as being totally negative because I enjoyed it. And when it comes on DVD, I'll buy it because, you know, I'm that guy. I'm going to buy it uh, and I'll watch it again and again. I'm sure that I that I will enjoy it and we'll watch it. Um, but I was disappointed at the same time. No. Huh. Maybe it'll be different if you could watch them back to back. Sure. Let's hold out hope. Um, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Come on. Give me give me something. You know, well, I thought uh, Age of Ultron suffered just the same. This is it's on par with Age of Ultron to me. And what I was hoping for was a redemption from Age of Ultron, and I didn't get it. I got another Age of Ultron. Uh, another okay. series of characters that were introduced but not developed. A villain, in this case, there's not really a villain, um, but, you know, uh, uh, super fight scenes that really didn't quite work right. You know, Paul Rudd as Ant-Man shows up and is really the highlight of the movie. And that's that's an, an indictment, not a compliment. That's pretty bad when Ant-Man is the highlight of the movie. And Spider-Man. Actually, I do want to say this. This is the best Spider-Man I've seen on screen. Really? In my opinion, the most oh. spidey-ish Spider-Man that we've seen on, on screen. He's, he's, um, I don't, because it's such a golden treasure, I'm not going to say anything about it, but the, the, the time when he's in the, in the movie were the best parts of the movie for me. Huh. Okay. Cool. All Looking right. Moving forward to when it comes here eventually someday. <laughs> you don't ever get anything first run out there? Uh, once in a blue moon we do. Star Wars, we had opening night, okay. but it ran for three weeks, something like that, in a <laughs> single studio or a single movie theater. Yeah, I saw where Deadpool's releases next week. Uh, that that went from movie to DVD lightning speed. Yeah, it did. 
Have you been seeing the uh, commercials for Deadpool? <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, they've been knocking them out of the park. Um, I yeah. Think. So. Yeah, the, the the commercials for it have been pretty good. Actually, it's uh, available to purchase on Google Play right now. I just about pulled the trigger on it, but I, I don't know if I want to buy it digitally or just put it in my plaques later. Yeah, that'll come to me in a red envelope. Um, but, you know, that that's all I'm interested in for that particular one. Yeah. All right, Little Bit Zombie. Uh, is that a new 5K set? No, this is um it is a movie that is it is the perfect blend of lighthearted cheese. Um it's called Little Bit Zombie. It came out a few years ago. And one of the interesting things is he funded it. He did a crowdsource funding, so as the credits are rolling through, it gets like to the assistant producer and it's like it goes on for like ever. But um it's a funny take on uh zombie films it's not really a zombie outbreak kind of thing but it's a guy gets bit by a mosquito that had bit a zombie (laughs) and so he's um he's slowly kind of becoming a zombie and but uh, at the same time they're at this cabin trying to plan his wedding with the bridezilla of a bride to be and it it is there's some seriously laugh out loud super funny moments in it um it's not a bad movie that's funny it's like a B movie that's freaking hilarious. They, they're a little over the top, but you could tell they play it that way. Um, lots of jokes, lots of geek stuff. Even, even bacon is prevalent in the movie. So a little bit zombie. If you have a couple of hours and you don't know what to do on Netflix. So it's on Netflix streaming. It's either, I don't remember if I watched it on Netflix or Amazon, one of the two. Okay. I'm watching the trailer and it's so far it's it, it seems to be pretty pretty much the uh this layup of the obvious you know bad movie start. Well, you know, like I say, I don't think this would qualify as a bad movie, um but it's definitely a B movie, but it it's it's cheesy. You they you can tell they're kind of over the top on purpose. It gives it that lighthearted feel and it it was super enjoyable. Have you seen the two, 2013 movie Warm Bodies? Uh, warm is that no. the one where the guy becomes human again? Well, spoiler alert. Well, uh, I, guess. I I I didn't know. So <laughs> if that's the one, then yes, I saw it. Um, yeah, it's uh, I I, I don't go into the zombie thing at all, but that movie was really good. I, it was it was a good movie that happened to have zombies in it. Um, right. And I, I really, it had some of my favorite characters or actors in it, people that you don't know their names, but when you see them, you go, Oh yeah, that guy, I know that guy. Um, it was a movie full of that guys. Um, right. And, and really worth watching again on Netflix. I recommend you check it out. Yeah, that is a good movie. Yeah. Basically the, there's a, there's the typical zombie plague and then the plague starts to end. I mean, you never see that happen. But that's the that's the story of this this whole movie is that we're not really sure how it starts to happen, but some something happens that causes the the plague to like wear off, um, huh? And so, interesting. Check it out. Um, dusting the only one I really care about this one is the yep 
Actually, <laughs> that one. I, yeah, I want to. That one is good one there uh, because that got me too. Uh, the thing that I always tell people to do, and the thing that when I was maintaining other people's computers, I did all the time, but I never do myself, and it's bitten me. Dust your dang computer, people. Yes, um, it's. Uh, I try to do it whenever we set the clocks back. Um, I didn't do mine recently, and I don't know if you can hear the small jet engine roaring from the corner over here, but it's starting to get quite noisy. So it's just a good reminder to dust your computers before the computers bite the dust. Yeah, I've uh, <laughs> just picture a nice, warm, fuzzy blanket of dust across all your heat sensitive components. That's what's going on in there. Yep. Um, and you may think you keep a clean house. Your computer says otherwise because it's got this fan running 24 seven, sucking every little thing into it. And even yep. if it, you have the it, filters, it won't matter. It helps you keep a clean house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you go. It's like it's, it's like your uh, own little Roomba that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you pe- most people pay thousands of dollars for those ion things that you have to clean with the the big metal pieces that you have to clean. Um, your computer does it for free. Just remember to clean it. <laughs> All right. And we have one little bit of feedback. It's a voicemail from uh, our old friend and yours. Aaron Butler. Let's see what he has to say uh, over on our uh, I am five five nine. I am Opie voicemail. Hey guys, uh, Aaron here. Of course, really enjoyed the show about the um, encryption key breaking. And, the, and as I, the entire length of the show, I was doing the same thing. I think you guys were and trying to figure out a way. <clears throat> how could they possibly do this? <clears throat> and the only thing I could come up with kind of harkening back to the safety deposit box idea is a two-part key also using a constantly changing number like a key fob type system so that the manufacturer would be required to own one key and build the second key to the government specifications so that the government would have half the key at all times the vendor would have the other half so if Bob's phones and stuff got a subpoena or excuse me a search warrant to unlock it, then they would contact the vendor and say, look, this phone has this software on it that you own, and I have a valid search warrant here from the U.S. government. I need you to, me to you just allow me my half of the key. They take that half of the key, they give it to the government, and then when the government plugs that key in with their key, it works for a X number of time or a limited number of time or unlocks for one instance or whatever like that. That's the only way I can think of doing it. Or... It's a giant mess of conspiracy just to make money. That's the other thing. But um, anyway, for what it's worth, uh, Mark, feel free to play this or not play this. I just thought it was, uh, as I was finishing listening to the show, that was that was the only way I could think that it might possibly work, where it would prevent the government from getting into it anytime they wanted, and prevent the, the vendor, the creator, from getting into it anytime they wanted, and give some just glimmer of security still to the person that owned the data that was encrypted. Anyway, love the show. Talk to you later. Okay, that's actually a pretty good idea yeah. if, if you trust the government. That's that's the if. You know, I came yep. up with another idea just listening to him talk, and that is the government could keep our passwords and we could rent them from them <laughs> for some type of annual subscription or monthly subscription. You know, it's like if you want to have anything secure on the web, you have to rent a password from us. And, you know, every time you pay your fee, you get a valid password. And um, I don't know. I think that might work, too. 
Uh, yeah, a little part of me just died inside. Thanks, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> the, and, hey, the sad part is, is how legitimate does that sound? To to respond to that would be to elevate it to a level above what it deserves. So we're just going to move on. Um, okay. <laughs> there have been people talking about the two part keys, uh, the between the manufacturer. And that actually would not um, fit the uh, the Feinstein. Uh, it was Feinstein right? No, it wasn't Feinstein. Who was no. It? Um, anyway, it, it would, oh yeah, it was. She was one of. Them. Okay, it wouldn't it wouldn't fit that law. Because that law says that every person down the line has to be able to do it at any point. Uh, I, I, for, personally, if you're going to do this, if we decide that we need a digital search warrant, the manufacturer is the way to go. And I like the idea of the, the manufacturer. You don't really need the two-part key. That's, you just need a search warrant. You need a legal document written, signed by a judge. Um, and that would, that would make me okay with it. But that would mean changing the law because the current law doesn't allow for that so we would need we would need a law and that's what the you know the senate is trying to do they're trying to find a law that allows for a digital search warrant um and in that case you you then have to trust the the government to follow their own rules which a lot of americans don't trust that i won't uh, uh, say whether i do or not and then you have to trust the manufacturer to keep that secure which history has proven is not going to happen right so there's you're elevating you're you're depending on a lot of trust there and you're expecting people who are only encrypting their devices because they don't have trust in the first place to do it. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. I mean, what what else can you say? We we already badgered that that right. one pretty hard you know, 2 weeks ago. And you didn't like my comments. <laughs> so. All right, um, so let's go on now to, uh, we got a couple of things here about um, the topic of this work. It is, is uh, it's a question we still get on a regular basis. How can I, how can I make money doing this stuff that I love? Um, not just Linux in general, but open source. You don't have to, to sell your soul to corporate money, uh, America to make money. It's true. Uh, a new open source jobs report shows that things are looking good for, for making money in the open source world, which people have often said can't be done. Uh, yeah, they um, just to kind of hit some of the highlights, um, employers are seeking open source talent. 87% say it's hard to find, which if you're part, if you have open source talent, that means you can kind of command a premium because it's so hard to find. 58% of managers are looking for um, DevOps. So, you know, if you are some type of a developer, um, 86% of open source pros agree that knowing open source has advanced their careers. But here's one of the caveats. Only 2% say money and perks are the best part of the job. So I think this goes in with, you know, you're doing your passion. You're not just collecting a paycheck, but you're kind of, you're involved in the development. You have ownership in the product. So then it becomes not about the money. It becomes about doing what you love. And that makes you more satisfying. Um, 50% of open source pros, um, they believe that cloud type skills are the top. So, you know, virtualization, containers, uh, VMs, stuff like that. Those are just a couple of the highlights. Um, I mean, there, there's a whole lot more, but. So, I mean, what do you think, Chris? Good time to be an open source or just, you know, get your Microsoft certs and bring home the bacon? Well, 
that's kind of a, a mixed bag there, but I would definitely agree that being involved in the open source community would definitely help bolster your career. Um, especially if you're any form of a programmer, a developer, um, that's the time, the time is right for those people. Uh, people, the, the hardware experts, they're starting to get phased out or at least, or downsized, I guess would be a better way, not phased out. They're being downsized because everything's going virtual and if you don't know it, you can't do anything about it. I've been saying for a decade that, that what will make open source win is the cost free nature of it, not the free speech nature of exactly. it. Exactly. Um, yep. and that's, that's what's happening. Businesses, uh, ever pressed to, to squeeze more dollars out of their product are relying on the freeness, the cost free nature of open source. And so they're building platforms, OpenStack, uh, being a great example of it. Um, they're, they're built, Amazon, right, has built their whole thing on, uh, on largely open source stuff. Not because it, it, of Stallman's principles, but because it didn't cost them anything. And so we now have more and more people building entire infrastructures on these open source pro- platforms, not because of some idealistic, um, campaign, but because it didn't cost them anything to do it. I don't really care what the reason is. The end result is that 51% of people surveyed say that they need people who know how to work with these open store source products. So open source has won, not on the ideals, but on the, the practicality of it. Either way, they right. won. Yeah, and the, and that's what all of us have been hoping for. At least uh, you know, I, and the people I've always talked to, um, the free the free beer aspect is always is great. That that's usually getting people in the door, but it's then getting them to believe, you know, about the freeness after the fact. So maybe this is the the start of that pill going down of, you know, let's have freeness in the in the open or not just freeness as in free beer, but freeness as a policy now. Yeah, it may or may not be true that information wants to be free, but it is always true that businesses want to make money. Oh, yeah, definitely. The less they can pay, the more that they can give themselves in bonuses. That's That rule is probably older than business. It probably businesses say, hey, let's make money following this rule. And uh, Yeah, and dovetailing with that, uh, an admittedly uh, biased source, Linux.com, says over the next six months, uh, open source jobs are going to increase. Yeah, I think, um, you know, of course you would expect Linux.com to say the open source jobs are going to increase, but I think it's, it's borne out because you can kind of go and see some of the highlights from their 2015 jobs report and see that the 2016 is even rosier. And so, you know, and one of the cool things about open source still today, Although you could say that it's not quite as easy as it has been in the past, you can get involved in the communities and you can do things to get experience with the projects um, and the software without having a job. And, you know, it's not like you need, you know, like in the old days, if you didn't work for in the IT department of some company, you had to basically wire your garage and have like 20 different computers running eight or nine different versions of Windows and this domain controller and that email server and all this kind of stuff so that you could understand what would be required of you in a business environment. But now, you know, with VMs in the cloud, um, you know, Amazon Web Services or pick a web service, Microsoft, Google, OpenStack, um, uh, 
Ubuntu or whatever, you can have, you can spin up these VMs in no time flat. You can install applications and you can see the exact same application that would be running in a business world. And you can say, okay, what would I need to do in a business world? Okay. I would need to be able to open up ports in a firewall to let uh, this program work. Well, what ports does this program use? How do I need to configure the firewall? What tweaks do I need to make with this program so that it plays well with exchange or whatever? And you can start doing that. And you can get these experiences um, without having the job to land you a job in the open source field. Might not be easy, but it's it's doable if you want to put the work in. Yeah, it's it's going to be one of those things where it's going to take time and, and effort, but it'll be worth it when you get done. Yeah. Yeah, and I've just realized that both of these articles that we've talked here are both talking about the same survey, the 2015 uh, Open Source Foundation survey. But I, I want to highlight this paragraph uh, from uh, Linux.com. It says, this year's Linux Foundation and DiceJobs.com uh, job surveys included more than 400 hiring managers. So it's a small sample group. Um, at corporations, small and medium businesses, government ag- ag- excuse me, government organizations and staffing agencies. So there's a wide variety here and they're all. It's not uh, government is, is hiring it or, or small businesses. Or everybody says mm-hmm. that they need people who know how to work these infrastructure technologies because they have become infrastructure. They're as important now as electricity is to the way yep. the modern computing uh, platform works. And that's a win. Linus has won. Or at yep. least his philosophies have. <laughs> Linux itself hasn't, but it, Linus's philosophies have. Right. Um, and, uh, ooh, I don't even, I'm not even sure I want to go there, but I'm going to. I would <laughs> posit that Linus Torvald's um, practical approach to something that doesn't cost anything and works has triumphed over Richard Stallman's uh, pie-in-the-sky approach to um, empirical, uh, or, or not empirical, but uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, to, to philosophy over practicality. Uh, it has lost. Now, I, you know, as I've gone uh, on record as saying before, I think we needed both of them. I think one, you know, they're two, both oars that, that row the boat forward. Uh, but in the end, um, freeness became more important than freedom and practicality won over, uh, philosophy. And I think, I think, you know, that's always going to be the case. But this was a really good litmus test study we put these two things together for roughly the same amount of time in roughly the same environment and the uh you know wear mohair clothes and uh drive leaf eating vehicles um was superseded by something that's good enough and doesn't cost anything right well you know and also well actually um stallman came first because they first used linux has um, you know, to put in the GNU slash, well, it was just GNU. Um, and you know, herd is still in beta and they were kind of, um, they were kind of betas at about the same time. And Linux is up to version, I don't know, 729 R6 V2.7 and herd is still 0. 0.098 or whatever. So, you know, and even if you want to take the super long view and say, the game's not over yet. Well, at the halfway point or the first turn or whatever, definitely Linux has, um, far exceeded herd. But, you know, I mean, you could make the argument that it wouldn't have been possible without it. And 
again, you can do whatever you want to with it. And that flexibility and that scalability is really what makes it um, the thing that made open source possible. All right. Um, yeah, I, I was just, I'm processing these. We've got several different articles here. They all point back to that same survey. So right. it, was, it was different reporting about the same thing. So it's just, um, it's the same point there. And, and what, what I'm reading here as I'm looking through it is this is, this isn't Linux. It's open source. Right. Uh, and that's different. Uh, very different. In fact, one of the big complaints from Stallman and his posse is that Linux, the Linux kernel isn't open source enough. There's, you know, the binary, binary compiled blobs in there. There's, there's, uh, data in there that isn't open. Um, the kernel and the development of the kernel is, own, uh, is open, but the, the kernel that you download in your OS is not fully open. There are parts of it that are open and parts of it that are not open. And is that, um, that hybrid approach, that willingness to compromise between open and not open is the difference between the Linux kernel being installed all over the world and the herd kernel being on its third decade of beta. <laughs> right. Well, and it's the difference between, you know, I would say academic and usefulness too. You know, I, I, I think uh, herd is a academically thing and Linux in the Linux kernel is an actual trial by fire now it works. Let's keep going. Yeah, and Linus Tor Torvalds is, is regularly pl plastered for being a jerk and being a totalitarian dictator. But he's a dictator who compromises when it's the best thing for mm -hmm. the product. Um, Stallman, and, and I, I don't, please don't think I'm, I'm dissing Stallman. I, I really respect the man for his principles, for his stand on his principles. But his principles don't stand up to the light of day, uh, as we're seeing here. Because when you refuse to compromise... That almost always means you also refuse to progress. Progression, progress is by definition a series of compromises. Um, and the open source community, fortunately as a whole, followed the lead of Linus Torvalds into a compromise way to get something that's, that's good enough. They're not interested in perfect. They're interested in good enough. They're interested in solid. They're interested in functional. And oftentimes to get functional, you have to compromise principle. Now I sound like I'm here saying kids, Compromise your morals at every at every turn, and life will go grand. Um, you have to make educated choices as to when is the right yep. time to to let some of your principles uh, slip. Uh, now that I, I, just having said that, I, it doesn't sound like a lesson I would want to teach my children. Yeah, just uh, stick to your principles, except when you can get ahead without them. Um, <laughs> that that's kind of what I just said, but. But it's also kind of true that there are some times when you have to back off. You got to pick your battles. And Linus Torvalds yep. has been excellent at picking his battles. And he will, he will pick a hill and he will die on that hill and he will fight and he'll say this far, no farther. And other times he'll say, meh, it's fine. Go ahead. And it's all for the, the good of the product and not necessarily the good of the idea or the ideal. Right. And it's a different ideal. His ideal isn't. Photons want to be free and electrons and neutrons and quasars and any other subatomic particle you want to name. Um, his ideal is I want something that works. What is the best tool? I don't want to spend all of my time machining a brand new bit 
you know, it's like the episode of Seinfeld with the a-hole um, type screwdriver whenever they've already got Phillips and slot and Torx and all these other things. I'll just take one of those and, hey, I might have to make a new size, but I already have the infrastructure is already there for me to use this tool. I don't have to build a totally new infrastructure. And that's what the um, the GNU project is having to do and that's why it's not going anywhere because you know somebody comes out with brand new hardware well they spend all their time working to develop open source stuff for this stuff and by the time it comes out it's obsolete nobody wants it versus hey this works let's get it going so we'll be ready for what comes out tomorrow it's it's just a it's a different design model and you know you can argue about what's what's better but we you can't argue about what's more successful right i would i would agree with that statement yeah. and you know and and here's the thing that people who are against open source and say you guys are just you know a puff piece for open source well here's the thing you know it's like because red and everybody well look at red hat they're a billion dollar company and they're like well name another billion dollar open source company you can't well it turns out there's a lot you know, like Facebook, you know, anybody ever heard of Facebook? They're Amazon. like the largest open source company ever. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so they don't make millions or billions like uh, Microsoft or Apple does. But even in Microsoft and even in Apple, you have people who are employed using open source technologies. So the thing is, you there might not be a company for containers or docs or whatever, but somebody who has those skills goes to work for this other company. And that's where the open source job market is. You know, the developers who work, a lot of times they're employed by other companies and they help develop this product. So the the, the jobs are out there. Things are moving in this direction. Um, you don't have to know any open source and you can make a fine living in the technology sector you can know nothing but open source and make a fine living in the technology sector you can pick the best of both pick one field or the other and some from each and you can make a fine living in the technology sector it's sort of like it's almost to the point of saying you know do you want to drive a ford or a chevy or maybe a better distinction would be you know do you want to drive an electric car a hybrid car or a gas only car all three are viable now. Some things gas is much better for, some things electric is much better for. The hybrid seems to be the best of both worlds. And I, you know, you were talking about you don't you don't need any open source. I am, you know, a quasi expert in open source. At least I come here every week and and, and run my mouth as though I am. But in my day job, <laughs> I use none. I'm not allowed to. My entire paycheck, the way I support my family is not only not open source, it's openly uh, anti-open source. Um, yep. And so, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm living a double life. I'm an open source advocate who makes his money using closed source products. Um, and, you know, Chris, I would wager that you're probably in the same boat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the chance of me getting anything pushed up through uh, that's open source while is doable, it's you know I, I think it'd be easier to enact a do some Congress enacting versus bringing something totally. Uh, and and the main reason it seems to be not just the fact that it's open source; it's the fact that it's there's no one to call when it breaks down. 
right? That's that's yep. the argument everybody always says. But at the yep. same time, they're hiring an entire uh, uh, stable of people who are there to make sure it doesn't break down. Uh, I've always mm-hmm. thought that's the most specious argument, but it's also the most common argument. Uh, where is. I work, for example, um, there there are multiple servers that run Unix, so they're paying for Unix. Wow. When, when I'm pretty sure they could do everything they need to do on Linux. I don't know for sure, but I, I bet that there's probably 99.999% compatibility between Linux and Unix there for the things that they need. But for that same reason, you know, nobody ever went out of business or nobody ever got fired by paying for a multi-million dollar contract for support. Because then as long as you've got somebody, it's not somebody you can call that it uh, when it breaks. It's somebody you can blame when it breaks. And that's the important thing. That too. That definitely works too. Um, it, it's interesting. Like the other, just the other day when I asked if I could, because uh, we have a, a list of approved software for our company. Um, and I noticed GIMP was on it, surprisingly. And I asked, can I have it? And I had to go through not a lot of headache to get it, but it was like, really? I have to sign this paperwork. I have to watch this tutorial video about open source software in our environment. And yeah, it was, it was, I was like, this is kind of strange, but okay. You're like, you want me to tell you the 25 things I noticed in that video that were wrong? (laughs) Is that why I'm watching it? And of course, the way I handled that same problem, I didn't say that. (laughs) I I just used portable apps and put it on a thumb, on a thumb drive and it's not on their computer. And I didn't have to watch the video. (laughs) But that's not allowed in my environment. Um, no thumb drives, no nothing. Yeah, it's locked down. Even as a tech, it's locked down. Yeah, in, in my company, we can bring a thumb drive, but as soon as you plug it in, it gets encrypted, um, and it or it's read only. And you know that's fine. That that actually works really well for me. Uh, I think that's a reasonable uh, compromise. But anyway, uh, the point there being, um, as much as I am an advocate of of open source, I am not a zealot of open source. I look for, uh, in fact, a group I helped start in Texas was called the Strategic Open Source Initiative. The key there being use open source when it's strategic, when it's appropriate, when it's best. If Mm -hmm. sometimes the best tool for you is a closed source product, which many times is the case then I'm not going to advocate for you to use an open product just for my principles. Be strategic about it, and then you will be successful. So a strategic open source initiative is also a um, successful open source initiative. If you if you um, forego the strategy part of it and just open source everywhere just because, you, you're you doomed to, uh, well, I'm not going to say you're doomed to failure. You're certainly uh, pushing up a hill that you didn't really need to. I would not disagree with that. Yeah. And, you know, and I sit here in front of me looking at uh, three Windows laptops and a Linux laptop, um, you know, in my own world. Uh, Windows supersedes Linux for podcasting because the tools that I need to use are better than Windows. Sorry, they just are. Uh, and I would rather, well, that, I, I would that wish they the were, but they are. Exactly. That's that's the thing. It's the drivers that make the difference. Um and, you know, I, I wish it weren't the case, but it wouldn't be strategic of me to go all open source, you know, just because, because then I would not be able to do my job as easily or as effectively. I'd get it done. I know podcasters who who run an all open source product uh, and they work harder um, to be this as effective as I am running Windows. I just, you know, I skip that problem 
by buying Windows. And I'm okay with that. And the fact is, every computer you buy probably came with a Windows license, whether you wanted it or not. You, you already bought it. You might as well use it. Unfortunately, yeah. The, I mean, the, you have a tool. There's no sense throwing out this tool just because, you know, you don't like the brand. Although, I mean, there are, I mean, there are people who do that. You know, I refuse to use that hammer because it's a Stanley and I only use Craftsman. I'm not going to get in your car because it's a Ford and I only like Chevy right. or whatever. And, and those people exist. And if that's the person you want to be, Hey, more power to you. Be it. Um, but you know, where does that get us? You know, whenever you bash something simply because of the brand without knowing whether it is good or not, where does that get us anywhere productive? I would hypothesize nowhere productive. I might be mistaken, but that would be my guess. My, my youngest daughter is, is approaching the age at which I will buy her a cell phone, her first cell phone. And she asked me the other day <clears throat> if I would buy her an iPhone. Um, and I said, no, honey, I will never buy you an Apple product. Um, and, and she said, well, but why? I said, because I don't like the way the company treats its customers and I don't like the way they do their business. I actually think their products are pretty outstanding in a lot of ways, but I don't like the way the company treats their customers. Therefore, I refuse to be a customer of their company. Um, is that a hardline stance? Yes, but it's a well-reasoned hardline stance. It's because I don't want to uh, stand in line to pay money to get dumped on. Uh, and in my experience, that's the way uh, Apple handles their customers. Uh, true, it's also the way Microsoft handles their customers, um, which me, which is why I have very little dealings with with Microsoft whenever possible. Yes, I use their products, but I try not to deal with the company. Um, so what she said, so do you hate Apple? I said, no, I don't hate Apple. I don't hate their products. I just don't want to be a customer. And when you're spending your own money, if you want to buy an iPhone, you go right ahead. But as long as it's, it's coming out of my wallet, it's not going to be an Apple product. So, you know, I have principles as well, and some of them may be just as close-minded uh, as, you know, people saying I'm not going to use open source uh, because I don't trust it. Um, I just, I don't want to be an eye sheep. I just, I just refuse to do it. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. And, you know, and hey, from, from the open source point of view, you're going to lock her in young <laughs> in the open source Google community. She's going to have everything set up for Google. And then so she's not going to want an iPhone because all of her stuff is integrated with Google apps. There is that. Absolutely. You brainwashing. Somebody should call CPS right well, now. Isn't that a quick aside there? Yeah. Isn't 95% of parenting brainwashing? That's what we do. That's what we are charged with doing as parents. Uh, we brainwash our children. This is the way we do things. This is what we believe. Uh, it's indoctrination. You know, every bit of my exchange of my faith between myself and my child is pure doc indoctrination for the first eight years, maybe longer than that. And then they get to make their own decisions. And if they decide to go Buddhist, then they will have made an informed choice because I will told them what I believe and why. And the same is true for everything else. You know, we um, I'm indoctrinating my children not to hate black people. That's indoctrinization. That is brainwashing. I think it's a good kind of brainwashing, but it's the one I'm choosing to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's called society. If the majority agrees with it, it's called brainwashing. If the majority doesn't agree <laughs> with it, the process and the terms are the exact same. It's just, you know, um, the victors get to write the history books. 
Yeah, and uh, that was a discussion we had just just today. Um, I uh, coming out of a restaurant, uh, there was a there was an uh, uh, an old black gentleman dressed just dressed to the nines, wearing like a uh, a purple suit and a and a pimp hat. Um, and I I slapped him on the shoulder and said, "Sir, you are rocking that hat. I love it." Um, and it was a uh, you know I'm a big boisterous guy. I have come uh, conversations like that, um, and my wife took note of his wife's reaction to it. She did not take it well. She thought I was making fun of the man. I wasn't. I was complimenting him on the fact that he looked fly. And I wish I could pull off a purple suit and a hat like he was wearing, but I just can't make it work. Um, and and the man, uh, I, he he seemed to be like he took it well, but his wife didn't. And so that spawned this conversation between our children. And, and I told her, I said, no matter what you might think, and and I'm going to say they were in their late 70s, 80s, maybe older, this couple. Um, and I said, no matter what you might think, you can never understand what it was like for those people growing up black in the South. And and I I may have crossed the line there completely, you know, trying to be a good guy, trying to 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 spread some joy to my neighbor. Um, I may have have caused them pain or fear. Uh, this big white dude clapped him on the shoulder. Um, uh, that, that may have been a, a fearful moment for him. And, and I didn't think about it. And I, you know, um, and so the whole point there is that, that we, we all indoctrinate, uh, our children, uh, in, in different ways. And we, that, that fostered that discussion. And I had to tell them that, you know, I, I, I may have just stepped on that man's culture unwillingly. And you got to be sensitive to that stuff. You got to be aware of it. You got to know that not everybody's culture, even if you grew up in the same town in the same generation, you probably didn't have the same experience and you can't, uh, you can't know, uh, what their culture was. Um, and the the fact that you said indoctrinization brought me to that. It, it, parenting is indoctrinization. It is brainwashing. So anyway, total aside. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> the conversations we have talking about the open source jobs report. <laughs> wow. Talk about rabbit holing this, uh, uh, this year, this week, but that's okay. Well, I, yeah, I think they're all related because, you know, we've been talking about principles and picking the hill you're going to die on and, and, and yeah. picking the battles you're going to fight. And, and the, the open source versus closed source is just as militant as the white versus black in some circles. It oh, is. Yeah. Oh, it's just like the browser wars not too long ago. Same thing. Yeah. The one, and, and sadly, my beloved Firefox just gave up the browser wars. Um, I, every time, man, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't want to drink the Google Kool Aid all the way just because I don't like, I don't like Chrome and it's an emotional not like. There's really no technical reason. Um, I don't like, i.e. because Microsoft does not know how to make a non-sucky browser. They they even don't even know how to license other people's browser code and make it non-suckier. Um, so, you know, I guess I could try Opera, Safari. I, I prefer not to use don't, Apple products. Don't even try Safari on Windows. Just don't. Yeah. I mean, I'm, maybe I'll try Vivaldi. I've heard lots of good things about that browser. That's, but, that's what I was just going to bring up. I was like, has anyone even tried it? I downloaded it's, it. I'm friends with yeah. the um like developer on LinkedIn. That's as far <laughs> as I can go. I, it's on my system. I have an icon for it. That's as far as I can go. Huh. Well, yeah. guess what? I'm downloading it now just to play with it tonight. I want to whenever we come back from the, yeah, when we come back from the break, I want to try to get someone from Vivaldi on the podcast. All right. 
so let's move on to a little bit of tech news. And this is, you know, uh, actually in line with what we were just talking about. Um, the It's sometimes hard, it's often hard to get people to try the latest and greatest of whatever it is, you know, a la Microsoft. Um, their biggest competitor is their 10-year-old product. Um, and Seth has an article here uh, from The Verge talking about how uh, Google has the same problem. Their biggest Android competitor is their old products. Well, and, and actually, their old products are killing them because um, Marshmallow, which is the current version of, and one of the reasons this article came out is just within a couple of days, Google's going to be highlighting what's going to be coming up on their next version of Android in their developers conference. Yeah. But Marshmallow, their latest and greatest that came out last year, not yesterday, not last week, not last month, last year, early in the year, has a whopping 7.5% of the Android installs. Um, whereas Lollipop, which was the year before that, was over 35%, and KitKat, which has been a couple of years ago is 32% jelly bean all the way down to gingerbread. Yeah. You're not going is, back. Sorry to interrupt. You're not going back far enough. Seth lollipop was four years old. Kit Kat was like six years old. Um, and those two combined have over half the market. Was it that far? Yeah. Uh, six, five and six. Yeah, Marshmallow is almost two years old. Lollipop was around uh, about a year and a half before Marshmallow came out, and Kit Kat was around almost two years before Lollipop came out. Yeah, 2013 was Kit Kat, and um, Jelly Bean was 2012. So so six um, years, yeah, uh, four years ago. Okay, Uh, I, I was thinking more like six years ago, but okay, four years ago. Yeah, and even gingerbread, you know, is 2.2. And I know that there's got to at least be 1% of 1.6, which was what, Froyo, I think? Yes. Uh, that was really the first one that didn't totally suck, um, in my yep. humble opinion, was 1.6. And it's still out there. So, you know, and of course, it's easy to blame Google, but at the same time, this is not Google's fault. These are the handmakers who bundle whatever version came with their phone um, or whatever version was out there and they wanted to use. And then they're not going to push an OS update for their phone. They want you to buy another phone. Exactly. Because Cell phones have become a commodity now, yep. um, almost a staple, just something you use and throw away, not an investment. And so why would I want to take the time to invest um, in something whenever instead I can make you buy another one? Yeah, if you're if you're Motorola, you don't want to update your your droid. You want people to buy your new phone. You, wh- right. Why in the world? Why in the world would you want to give the uh, Apple does the same thing? They, uh, um, you can't push the latest iOS on an old device. That's that would be uh, market suicide. That would be a dumb thing. Um, and so you get this problem. And and again, going back to Microsoft, they're having the same problem with XP. Um, people aren't upgrading, and so ancient bug fixes are out there. And and Google has sort of made the the choice not to update that old stuff. Um, and so if you're walking around with a jelly bean, 20% of the people in the, uh, in the world are, uh, you're walking around with bugs that have not been fixed and have no intention of being fixed. Unless you root and use something else. If that something else, uh, can even supported. be supported. Exactly. You, you, there's some yeah, points yeah. where you can't even go. Some processors just won't, won't go. Um, yep. so it's, uh, it's a problem with, uh, dispo, uh, with, with, uh, 
lasting hardware in a disposable world. I, I buy phones every three to five years, and I'm a rare, fairly rapid ad- adapter adopter. Three years, really. Five years is a long time for me to keep a phone. Every three years, I'm going to buy a new phone. And that's actually fairly rapid. A lot of people keep them four or five years because why not? They still make phone calls. They still play Flappy mm-hmm. Bird. Why, why do you need to upgrade? <laughs> yeah, well, and sometimes some app gets pulled from the store, and if you upgrade to a newer thing, you can't get it back. So you have to stay with the old one. Uh, but uh, here is, I was thinking about this as I was reading this article. And what do y'all think has a possible fix? What if Google in the Play Store put an app that was update to Marshmallow or whatever, where a user, if they want, if they were so ad- adventurous, could then go and install that app and that app would then mm. update the underlying os would that be doable from google's perspective i don't i'm just curious it's 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 far too low level for that i don't think that would it would be possible to do that at the app layer uh they can get close i don't think they can get to the root the the base layer though that that's like you know that'd be like can you format and reinstall windows without losing anything you know, that would be the similar process there for Windows versus phone or computer versus phone. Uh, well, um, you, you, I mean, if you're, I guess you, if your you computer could come was close, big enough, you could. But I don't think you could do it perfectly. So, Chris, you know, is, is there an axe murderer outside your window, Chris? I just heard a child screaming. Is everything okay? Nobody's dead. Is, are they? <laughs> no, no one's dead. Just okay. the neighbor kids having fun. Okay. <laughs> fun and, and death sound a lot alike sometimes. They, they, they do. They really Especially do. Especially with my neighbor kids. Um, I, I will hear my children. Uh, often I'll, is that a, is that a laugh or a cry? Is that, I'm not really sure. Is that, was that a good scream or a bad scream? Do I, do I need to get up off my comfy couch? Well, I haven't heard any, doesn't sound like anybody's bawling. Okay. I'm just going to let that one go. Yep. I do that a lot. If it was serious, <laughs> they'll do it again louder. Yep. That's right. Of course, sometimes right. if it was fun, they'll do it again louder too. That's so that too. doesn't necessarily work. So uh, along this thread of, of, not updating and, and, and legacy being your biggest, uh, problem. Intel, uh, has decided that they're just not going to play that game anymore. They're done with Adam. They're just, they're just over it. They couldn't compete. Huh. They couldn't keep up. They're done. Not only that, but they're, they're laying off like 10% of their workforce. Uh, bad days ahead for Intel. Yeah. They, yeah. um, they're basically exiting the smartphone and the phablet and the small tablet market. Um, so they're, they're concentrating. Of course, they're like the, ser- the thing for servers and high end desktops and the like desktop replacement tablet market. But yeah, so they've sunk basically, um, over $10 billion in the last few years trying to build an infrastructure for, um, the the smartphone market but it has like done dwindling results basically um their loss the the amount of money they spend versus their return has hung about the same unfortunately they've been making less money so their losses have been increasing and um, they've just decided to exit of course this could be a good thing for the smartphone market because they exited it once before right before the iPhone came out and exploded the smartphone market. So now maybe Intel's abandoning the smartphone processor market means that the um, it's going to explode with some revolutionary new feature. So maybe this is a harbinger for good rather than evil. But yeah, Intel is saying bye-bye to the smartphone processor market. Hmm. 
That doesn't surprise me, though. You know, the, their processes were never mobile ready. They were always too hot or, you know what I mean? There, there was always a problem with it. Well, the, the you know, the Intel, the uh, uh, x86 infrastructure that Intel helped pioneer is all about, it's, it's the kitchen sink processor. Everything you need is there. ARM is completely the other way around. It's the the minimalist processor, RISC versus CISC. It's a it's an entirely different design ethos, and I think that you can't have both ethoses exist in the same company, and and that's the problem. You can't. You have to go all in on one or the other. And Intel isn't going to give up the x eighty six golden goose. Um, even though there's lots of reason to to maybe abandon that um, in the next decade, you could still milk that cow for a decade. And so they they tried to have the one side, the left hand, uh, stripping things down and the right hand building things up. And I just don't think you can do that as a company. I think this was a smart move, and they lost $10 billion. The amazing thing is that they had $10 billion to lose. Uh, over the last three years, um, but the, leave ARM to the ARM people and and leave uh, x86 to the x86 people. The but where you run into there is is what do you what do you do when nobody wants x86 anymore? So you you have a problem there as well. And I get why Intel's doing it, but I also understand why they're why they cut it. It's just it's two different mindsets, and I don't think they can both exist in the same company. Yeah, yeah you know so the thing is though. Has everybody moves to the cloud that actually opens up a bigger market for them? Because, you know, of course, the consumer needs less and less powerful desktop because the the smartphones are getting smarter. But as more and more stuff goes web based, well, that web is just a network of huge freaking servers running, right. you know, 8000 yep. core multi terawatt processing power that that's Intel's bread and butter. So, yes, they're losing the numerically superior, cheaper chips. But at the same time, they're focusing better on the all-powerful, godlike uh, master computing unit chips. Right. So let me just uh, give a little bit of a history lesson there. Um, early on in the early days of, of coding, when memory was more expensive than programmers, when, when it cost more to add a kilobyte of RAM than to pay a coder for a year, um, they it was very important that you do the minimum number of steps possible to perform an action. Mm-hmm. Intel rose to that challenge and said, we'll just put everything in silicon. You want an XOR. You want to take everything and and flip it. Um, instead of writing a multi-step process to do that, that will burn RAM and burn cycles, we'll just make a function for that. And all you have to do is say XOR this number, and it's in the chip, and it's lightning fast. And over time, they just kept adding on. We need, well, we also want this feature, and we want this feature. We want uh, the trusted uh, uh, pl- uh, computing module, What a TPM, trusted platform Something I can't remember. What it, basically, like that, yeah. in, encryption on the chip, and Intel was like, "All right, we'll just build that because encryption's hard. Encryption takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of processing power. Let's just throw that right on the chip." So over time, the chip has gotten more complicated and does more, but that saves on everything else. Well, now we're in a world where RAM is cheap, and and cycle time is cheap. We can we run these things in the gigahertz range instead of the megahertz range. Um, so cycle times are, are kilohertz. By golly, back in the day they were running it at kilohertz. So well, and we could have more more chip or more uh, processors more cores, per chip. Right. So the ARM in, uh, infrastructure is stripped down. Uh, the chip is just basic life support. You've got to do everything on your own. So to do the same 
XORing on an ARM chip. And don't write me emails. I know this may be wrong. I'm simplifying it for people who don't understand as well as you do, internet nerd. Um, too late. To, to, to XOR something, um, you may, you may have to do 15 steps, uh, as opposed to uh, on an ARM chip, as opposed to one step, uh, in an Intel chip. But we're running at multi-core uh, uh, gigahertz processors. Those 15 steps still take a, a, a fraction of a fraction of a second. So that's why ARM can, can do what it does now. And because you've stripped down the chip, much better battery life, much lower power, much lower heat. You don't need um, a, a, a cooling fan on an ARM chip pretty much ever um, because it's doing less. It's doing less more often instead of doing more less often. Um, and, and that works well in the mobile market where it doesn't work, as Seth said, is when you really need to crunch big numbers. You still need the big chip to do that. And so I think Intel right. is just seeding that and say, fine, we're okay with powering the world's data centers. That's not a bad place to be. Yeah. Well, no, because they'll never lose. And also, you know, going back to the, you need the weaker chip. That's one of the reasons that the apps, um, the rise of the app, you know, rather than have a program that can do 17 different things, you now have 17 separate apps on your phone that can only do one thing each. So you're not complicating the processor's life by getting all of these pro, all of these functions ready to go. You're like, cue this function. This is the one I want. And then if you want some other function, you launch some other app. And so it goes, Oh, wait, no, I don't need that function. I need this one. So yeah, the Intel. Intel's chip is not that. And so, you know, yeah, they really, they can't, the, you need a totally different 20 cents or paradigm, haha, um, in order to excel at the different functions. So I think this is a smart business move to say, you know, we're okay with just a trillion dollar market. We'll, we'll just take that and we're okay with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't, Who wouldn't just take that? Right. Not everybody gets to drive a Bentley. Not everybody needs to own an Intel. <laughs> Wouldn't that be well, a great marketing slogan? And and really, I think Microsoft needs to do that and needs to abandon the mobile. I, I think they just need to say, we're the Intel software platform. We'll we'll use it on heavy laptops and we'll use it on servers and we're fine. Except that, oops, darn it, Linux outnumbers them on the servers. So then all they've got is the heavy laptop, which yep. nobody's using anymore. Oops, yep. <laughs> there's a problem there, isn't there? Yep. Yeah, they, they kind of got pushed out. Um, failure to adapt. Um, anything else about that, guys, before we move along? No, I'm good. Move. All right. Intel, Intel says goodbye to, the, to mobile. And uh, I own at least two Atom chips in my house right now. They weren't huge, but uh, they were, if you had a small... Uh, uh, fanless processor on a PC, you probably had an Atom chip in it. My current favorite computing device, it runs on Atom. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on now to because Mark loves numbers, Seth has some ransomware numbers for us. Yes, Ooh. according to this uh, Softpedia news story, Kaspersky's Q1 IT threat evaluation report represents a 14% increase in ransomware. 14%. Ah, the sky is falling <laughs> until you go to the article. And that means they've detected 
2,900 new ransomware variants. Not necessarily that there was more of them than before. It's just there's a greater number of variants as the ransomware kits make their round through the, you know, we talked to, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the big business of the malware um, IT field? So, you know, of course, there's going to be more variants because everybody's got to differentiate themselves. So Kapersky says um, that their malware database now includes about 15,000 ransomware modifications. And so, of wow. course, during the past three months, that's 20% of its entire database. Now, again, you know, back in the day, um, when it was a race between the, the virus writers and the AV writers, they would go in and change just one line of code with a comment or something to give it a new signature. There was nothing separate about the virus. It just, they needed to bypass the signature. That could be what a lot of these detections are. It might not necessarily be anything new. Um, it's just a little different thing to try to bypass that low bar of security. So anyway, um, any thoughts, guys? Ransomware is the new gold mine. It um, is. And because because encryption is so good <laughs> uh, and because it's so easy to do and open source has made it uh, cost nothing, uh, you can cobble together a series of open source tools that will encrypt somebody's uh, information without their permission. Um, and you know, time after time, we're seeing people just having to pay up. Their only choice is pay up. Oh, I just had a thought, you know, uh, um, this kind of ties back in with Aaron's comment and our discussion from before. Um, if somebody writes cryptoware, they would then be breaking the law by not providing the encryption key to the government. So that's yet another thing they can be busted for. So there, yes, you, go. Yeah. there you go. That's because a good benefit of the law. Passing new laws always stops criminals every time. It, well, oh, yeah. it, it's yeah. just, you know, in a lot of ways, the technology is is evolving faster than the law is. Again, I would be totally against the law. But one good thing is it gives you then a law to go after them with. You know, it might be hard to figure out which law they broke based on our code written for the telegraph. But they we could get them for this law. Maybe. Okay. Anyway, okay. it's like going after Al Capone on tax evasion. Yeah, pretty much. Well, hey, but it, we did it. it we worked. did it. So I just thought of it. You know, I don't know if you saw my screen flash when that lightning hit, but I wanted to share. <laughs> uh, so, Chris, any thoughts on ransomware? Yeah, it's the new golden child. We'll figure out a way to to stop it eventually, and then. Yeah, it'll be it'll go away just like everything else has, and something else will come up. Will I think we, how, is, how do you stop it other than users not being stupid? And that's hard. Yeah, that's that's going to be the biggest problem. Um, I don't know how to stop it. Otherwise, I'd make a million dollars or more. But I think what's going to happen. I mean, we had the 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 you know ransomware is the current one, but remember with the ones that would lock out your computer, so it, you would have to to pay with what was a money pack. To, to to because it would put a screen over your whole uh, a pop up over your whole screen and you couldn't get to anything. Did you ever see those? I was it, aware that they existed. Yeah, okay. one of those actually rescued me from one of the crappiest jobs I've ever had. Um, <laughs> so uh, so but, there you go. When uh, I, it, it I was need e to hear that story. Okay, um, my brother 
this hat, you know, and we even did a story about the guy who had it on his screen and it was like, we found child porn in your computer. Right, so he wouldn't turn himself, himself in. Um, but my brother had the same thing happen to him. And so he calls me while well, I had been waiting on my travel at this. I was going around to different holiday ends, uh, updating their computer system, res- reservation system overnight and stuff. So I was waiting. Um, because I had to be somewhere that night and had yet to get things at like noon, I went to my brother's shop and fixed this. It, it, it they're, they're trivially, it was trivially, trivial. It was very Trivially. Easy to fix. Trivial. Yeah. I, my, my lips won't function. It was pretty easy to fix. And, uh, but while I was there working with him, the, they sent me an email and then called me and said, Oh, well, you know, you didn't send me an email. And finally they did. And he, he they fired me for not traveling. And I was, I was okay with that because <laughs> they were the worst managers I've ever had the, uh, displeasure of knowing in my entire life. But anyway, so anyway, it, it saved me having that, uh, lockouts screen actually saved me because I went to help my brother and I wasn't around whenever the email came in to, uh, to go to them. So that's how so your brother owes you a job is what you're saying. <laughs> oh, no, I ended up getting a really great job. Um, after that, um, that was, uh, kind of in the works for, um, it just took a while for the recruiter and all the interviews to happen, but, um, no, it, it just helped me. It gave me a great excuse to quit. There you go. So ransomware is bad. Uh, my company has recently, as a result of that, uh, blocked all non-corporate mail servers, Gmail, Yahoo, just, just no, you can't go there before, uh, people could check their personal mail, but because they were so scared of ransomware, and I don't think this was a bad choice. I think it was a fine thing for them to do. Um, not only are they, we, we deal only with people in the local Atlanta area, and a few uh, national companies, but nobody international. They're they're just blocking all mail from like Russia or China. It just can't get through. Again, I think that's a reasonable choice for my particular company. Uh, and they're blocking. They're taking a real big uh, uh, sledgehammer approach to this because they're scared of the damage that can be done by you know a, a well-meaning person clicking on a ransomware link. Well, I mean, yeah, just look at what happened to the that hospital in California that got hit twice. Mm-hmm. Because their backup was encrypted. Oops. Yeah, and even if you've done everything and everything is backed up and it's backed up in such a way that, you know, think of the time it takes to restore that. You know, if you have a huge database that you have to restore, I mean, you're losing money whenever you're, you know, you're out a lot of money. So even doing everything right, it can still take you time to recover. Um, so that, that's what makes this so bad. You know, it, it's not like a, a one click, you know, refresh the page and you're up and going. It's like crap, turn it off, load the backup. Is the backup finished so that I can run this? Is it valid? And, yeah. And then is it valid and put it on there and then test it and then reintegrate. Okay. Did you find where it came from? You know, so that becomes a long process when everything is done right. So yes, ransomware, I think will be around for a while. Yeah. And, and if you have a really big multi, um, function database, uh, you know, things can be changing literally by the millisecond. If you're Amazon, uh, you don't have a database. You have a system of databases that are all interrelated. And to be able to 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 shut all of that down and and restore all of the, even if you've got backups, to be able to restore that 
is a big, big deal. And that's why people, it's just, just pay them. Just pay them. It's just easier. Let's, it's only 40 Bitcoins. We can afford it. Um, and, you know, even good IT departments can be uh, left in a situation where it's not worth, it's going to cost more to fix it than it is to just pay the ransom, uh, which is why I think we're going to see it on the rise. And, and it's really easy to get fished in by those things. And really, the only way around it is to be like the command line godfather there and hand type every link you ever go to. Never click a link in email. Um, I'm not that good. Um, the other choice is, you know, if you're the IT department, you just don't give people links ever. It's just not an option. You're you're blocked. No suit for you. Um, but you scary. can do everything right and visit a hacked web page. That's true. You know, just because yep. you yes. went to the correct, you typed it in and you verified and you had your wife come in with another set of eyes to make sure you didn't transpose letters. And then you, uh, and then you hit enter. Well, guess what? The page you went to was broken into yesterday. And everyone who, vi- every fifth person who visits that from a new region of the country, that's how granular this stuff can be gets hit. And so whenever your son went there, he didn't get hit, but you went there, you were the random number counter and boom, you got hit. You did nothing wrong because there I was when I was working at a school district, um, our our uh, web page, one of our web pages had got hacked, but it was it was so cool. I was really impressed with the people. It only presented the malware the first time that IP address checked it, check went to that site. So the next time you came back to that same site it was clean. Um, and so it, it took me, it took a while to figure out what had happened and get around it. But, you know, and that was, I guess, five or six years ago now, how much more complex can they be at dishing this stuff out selectively? So you can do everything right and still get hit with malware that it would take you as an individual, the better part of a day to recover. Imagine if Amazon got hit with this. Could you imagine them not processing orders for 24 hours, not being able to access your prime video for 24 hours while they clean this up? Think of the money they would be losing. So it wouldn't be an option for them not to immediately pay. And hopefully they get their stuff back. Hmm. I hear you. It's scary. Um, And it's one of those no win situations. You, You can you can do everything right and still get screwed. Pretty much. That's that's the way it works when you're out there on the wild, wild west internet. Yep. All right. Let's uh, let's get off of that and move on to a happier subject. Seth, what happened this week in history? Okay. This is another watershed moment in the history of information technology. May the 7th, 1952, the concept of the integrated circuit, the basis for all modern computers, is first published by Jeffrey W.A. Dummer. Um, he was an English electrical pioneer. He foresees the fabrication of all electronic components of a circuit or system in a single block of semiconductor material. And he built several special function devices at Bell Labs and RCA before Jack Kilby, who is in a lot of circles known as the modern or has the father of the integrated circuit before he demonstrated a general purpose um, integrated circuit in 1958. So that happened this week in history, 1952. That makes it 64 years ago. Marty, I slipped off my toilet and I hit my head on the tub. And when I woke up, I drew this. That's what that was. It was, he drew the yep. flux capacitor. That was a terrible impression. Yes, I know. 
We'll let it go this time. Yeah, I, I made him a Jewish grandpa. I don't know why. That's just how it happened. <laughs> I thought you were doing like Mario or Luigi. That's <laughs> that's what it sounded like to me. To me, a Mario. Uh, I've got a cold. My actually not a cold uh, allergy, so my my voice isn't isn't as dulcet as it should be. But anyway, uh, that's a watershed moment. It truly is. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything we have today, everything, all these chips we're talking about are now laser carved out of single chips. Um, and somebody had to think of that. I mean, knew. could you imagine something to perform the number of calculations in your phone? Not even, let's not even talk about your computer. Let's talk about your phone. Imagine using resistors or vacuum tubes, how many of those it would take to compute what your phone can do. You would have to have a computer house sitting next to your house. It would be several inconveniently large buildings. It would be. And, you know, so anyway, that that's what this moment is. And we don't understand, especially people younger than us who, you know, hold a computer in the size of their hand. We went to the moon on like, I think it was 16K. It might have been 64K of memory and a processing power that modern uh calculators can trash but yeah we took that to the moon and unfortunately haven't been back since but that would be a topic for another podcast versus this is the water i mean we couldn't have the life we live whether that's good or bad today without the integrated circuit amen yeah amen the the transistor the integrated circuit they go hand in hand and and they are our world and and you know our grandchildren are going to be talking about some new technology that we don't know what it is yet and saying our modern world couldn't happen without the quantum crystal or whatever, because we've oh, yeah. kind of reached the point. We've gone almost as far as we could go with transistors and integrated circuits. So something's going to have to take its place. I'm excited to see what that is. A change of magnitude. Yeah, there's Let's a there's a hipster in a garage working on that right now. Uh, he probably already sold out the day before he invented it. <laughs> he did he did an IPO and cashed out. There you go. Maybe. Who knows? Intel bottom and shut that project down because they want another decade <laughs> on their chips. All right, let's move on to uh, this the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. If you want to be like Aaron did and have your uh, voicemail appear right here on this show, you can call 559-IMOP anywhere in the uh, North American continent. That is a free call uh, outside the, the North American continent. I don't know how much you pay for it. Um, but make the call, leave a vest and we'll voicemail. We'll play it on the air. Or if you just want to send me a file, that works too. If you don't trust the Googles, you can just send me a file. Um, and so, uh, once you, uh, uh, you can also go to our webpage, go to, uh, elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page, uh, fill out the form there and let us know what you think and we'll play it on the show. So we like hearing from you and we appreciate, uh, knowing what you have to say. Um, and so, Tell us what you think. Are we all, are we a bunch of windbags here? Probably. But tell us something else other than that. Uh, tell us what you think. And no, Seth, I didn't forget your show closing spectacular. I just wanted to get that contact us thing right out there uh, and out of the way. So, Seth, tell us what do you have this week to lower my productivity so that you seem like a better hiring option? Okay. You need sound to get the full effect of this website. Um, but it is awesome. You go there. You click play. <laughs> He's just, he's lost it already. It's just funny. I thought it was great. It is counting cheap. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, 
okay. You just, you have to check it out. You have to see it to know what it is. It's counting sheep and it's awesome. Seth is quietly hemorrhaging. He's laughing so hard. This is right up his alley. It was, it was very funny. I wasn't expecting it. I had a different site lined up that was going to be freaking awesome, but it, it's been up and down all day and it wasn't up last time I checked. So I went with this one. I think if I use this link to go to sleep, the nightmares I would have as a result of it would, would far outweigh the fact that it put me to sleep. And then thus you would be not very good in work the next day. You would not be productive, making me seem like a better hire. There you go. There you go. And that's how you do it. And I have a link this week uh, <gasps> that uh, it's just, it's not tech. It's just funny. Um, it's a uh, friendship pendant. It's the Star Trek communicator. It's wow. two pendants that when you put together, it's a Star Trek communicator that says, I have been and always shall be your friend. So if you if you have a geek buddy and uh, and you want to show that you're BFFs uh, into the 24th century and beyond, uh, you can get the Quantum Mechanics Star Trek Friendship Necklace. Okay. Wow. And I thought I was geeky playing D&D. <laughs> I think you beat me. You trumped me out there, Mark. Are you just mad that I haven't sent you half of it? Is that what it is? <laughs> Maybe. Just a little. <laughs> um, it's cool. Check it out. That's the whole thing. So uh, that's it. That's it for the show. Uh, we'll see you next week because uh, we're done for this episode of the